0: All right, I want to welcome everybody here in the room, everybody watching online as well. How many of you guys have been up since 5 a.m.? Can I see a raising of hands here? Okay. How many of you have been up since 4 a.m.? All right. Anybody here been up since 3 a.m., like me? Okay. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, one? why, Paul? Why in the world? He has no idea. Okay. Out of Sun City, somebody said to come and watch you. I was like, aww. All right, so we've had relatives in town. The reason I've been up is because my Longhorns decided to get near the fence, and my granddog decided to bark at the Longhorns, and then my granddaughter decided to cry at the dog that was barking. So, I've had a fun evening uh, and morning. I, 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 they're all convoluted, but hopefully the coffee will kick in. But just in case, I want to start this morning with a little nap time. So if the ushers will come <laughs> forward with the blankets, and the no, we'll be all right. All right, so those of you who know me well know that for years I studied music. I even considered pursuing a career as a professional musician. And my main instruments were upright bass, bass violin, and electric bass. Now, the bass is not exactly your standard instrument, right? Like guitar or piano. But I fell in love with bass when I first listened to a vinyl record album by my favorite bass player of all time, a guy by the name of Stanley Clark. And I can remember the first time when I spun that album, I put it on, I was like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. I could not believe my ears. I even questioned, I was like, there's no way he's doing all that on the bass. And then I saw him in concert one night and I was like, I can't believe my eyes. Like the notes he's playing, the style technique he's using, the sounds he produces, simply amazing. And man, he made it all look so easy, so effortless. Have you ever noticed that? When somebody's really good at something, they make it look so, so easy. And then you go out and you try to reproduce what they just did, and you fall flat on your face, right? That's exactly what happened to me. For instance, Stanley uses three fingers when he plays on his right hand. The three-finger technique, that's unique. Most bass players just use their index finger, their middle finger. But he developed this particular technique. He was one of the first guys to ever do that. And it allows him to play cooler, faster bass lines than your average bass player. And so I decided, I saw him do that. I thought, wow, I want to do that. How hard can that be, right? Yeah, I'm pretty dexterous as an individual. It took me 10 years to hone that particular technique in. And I'm still not nearly as proficient at it as Stanley is. Why? Because he's been doing it for 60 years, playing like 10 hours a day, probably. I've been at it 20, 30 years, maybe play a few hours a week. You see, if I want to be great like Stanley Clark, it's not going to happen <laughs> By me just watching him, by me just trying to imitate what he does on the spot. I actually tried that approach, okay? I thought, you know, my problem is I don't have the right bass. I got to get the same bass he has. So here's a picture here. Yep, I got I got his exact same bass, same amplification. Notice I'm holding the bass the exact same way. I've got my fingers in my hand position. I I set up and I'm like, here I go. And I start playing. And the crazy thing is I sounded nothing like him. I think, what the heck am I doing wrong here? And so I go to concert, to concert. I, got, I got to get front row seats, right? So I pay extra money so I can watch him. And I'm going, ah, okay, that's his trick. That's what he's, that's what I'm doing right. So I go home and I try to do it just like he does. No, no luck. In fact, one night I was at the One World Theater. I was watching him play. I was on front row. Afterwards, he reached out and shook my hand. I didn't wash that hand for a week, okay? Because I'm thinking the magic power is going to rub off on me. No such luck. Why? Well, Stanley didn't become the great bass player he is just by watching someone else, just by trying to imitate what they do on the spot. No, it was years and years and years of discipline, of training, of practice behind the scenes that enabled him to play like he did under the spotlight. You see, it wasn't just some trick of his, it wasn't his instrumentation, his bass, it wasn't just natural talent. It was the fact that he made a wholehearted commitment to give his life to music and bass playing. So, how does all this apply to the Christian life? Well, if the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus, which it is, then I'm going to tell you this same principle applies. God's greatest desire for you. Did you know that I know for all of you here who are Christians, I know God's greatest desire for your life? It is to become like His Son, Jesus. It's that simple. Listen to Romans 8.29. For those whom He, that would be God, foreknew, Okay, that just means God knew stuff in advance. He knew that you would put your faith in him before you even did. So he knew in advance what was gonna happen with you. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, that word means to plan in advance. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God planned in advance for all those who would put their faith in Jesus to be like Jesus to be conformed to the image of His Son. God wants you to be like Jesus. It's that simple. He wants you to be like the Son of God, in short, more godly. But that does not happen automatically. The Bible backs this in 1 Timothy 4, 7, where Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You know, some versions say, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the key word there is that word train or discipline. It's the Greek term gymnasio. We get our English word gymnasium from this. Quite simply, it implies the need for Christians to exercise. In fact, if you have a King James version, exercise is the word that's used here. So God is saying, if you want to get into spiritual shape, exercise. Why? And Paul tells us in verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and and the life to come. Physical training is of some value, but godliness, spiritual training holds value for all things in this life and the life to come. The rewards are much sweeter for spiritual exercise. So, what does all this mean? What well, means becoming like Jesus doesn't happen automatically any more than I can pick up a bass guitar and automatically play like Stanley Clark. It takes dedication, commitment, training, exercise. But before all that, hear me on this, before all that, it takes a decision, a decision. People, you have to decide, am I really in? Do I really want this? See, I could have decided years ago, man, I appreciate and admire that Stanley Clark guy. I love the way he plays, the way he sounds, the music he produces, but I don't want to put in the effort to be good at bass like he is. In fact, I could even believe that I could be great like he is if I wanted to. But if I don't put in that training, if I don't follow in his footsteps, follow in his path, I'm not gonna reach that level playing. At some point in time, I had to make a choice to follow in his steps, to take the route he did. And guess what? I did that. I took lessons, I practiced for hours, I went to school, music school, and college, trade school, played in a band. I did the whole bit. And as a result, I'm a whole lot more like Stanley Clark today than I used to be, not even close to his level of skill but I continue to follow a practice and playing regimen that's leading me in that direction. See, I'm a devoted follower, not simply a believing admirer. And I'm going to tell you, this same principle applies in our spiritual life. Like, you got to decide, do I really want to be like Jesus? Do I really want to be conformed to the image of God's Son? I mean, that's God's desire for me, but do I really want that? I mean, not that we're ever going to be perfect like Jesus in this life, but do you want to try? That's the question you got to wrestle with up front. And if you decide, yeah, I'm in. I've decided to follow Jesus. Then you got to figure out, well, what exactly does that look like? And we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. But before we go there, there's one thing I need to make abundantly clear up front here. We are not talking about whether you're putting your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life we're talking about whether you're committed to follow in his footsteps. Those who believe in Jesus are forgiven and they're going to heaven. Those who follow Jesus are sometimes known in the Bible as disciples. Probably heard that term disciple or discipleship. It's it's a fancy term, but it simply means a learner or a follower. It's a Christian who's made a decision, I'm going to learn from Jesus by following Jesus. Around here, we call it doing life with God. We're going to do life with God. See, it's one thing to believe in and be impressed by Jesus. Like I kind of was impressed by Stanley Clark. But it's another thing to follow, to learn from, to grow, to make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus like I followed in Stanley's footsteps. One of the most popular messages Jesus ever delivered, you've probably heard of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk a lot about that over the next couple weeks. And you need to know, when Jesus gave this speech, it blew people's minds. It blew them away. And there were two groups of people listening when Jesus was talking. You had the crowd and you had the disciples. Now, the crowd, and there were lots of them, they were really impressed by Jesus. In fact, Matthew 7, 28 to 29 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Okay, the whole crowd admired Jesus. They thought, He's awesome. But they weren't necessarily committed to Him. Now, the disciples, on the other hand, decided to take Jesus' words and put them into practice. See, many people believed in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, but not many followed Him as disciples. And so there's one thing I got to make abundantly clear up front here. There's a difference between being a believer in Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, between believing in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life and following Jesus. If you confuse those two things in the Bible, you'll get yourself in a world of trouble. That brings me to my first main point today. Write this down. Salvation is free. We talk about that a lot around here. Salvation is free. You know, John 3.16 it's perhaps the most concise, beautiful passage on salvation in the entire New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him is given the gift of eternal life. Very simple. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. A gift of God received by faith, by believing in Jesus. One more. Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says, The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The water of life is a free gift. This book right here makes it abundantly clear that salvation is a free gift given to all those who believe in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. Salvation is free, but what about discipleship, being a devoted follower of Jesus? Well, that is anything but free. Jesus makes that abundantly clear as well. So here's our second point. Discipleship, people, is costly. Discipleship is costly. Listen to Luke 14, 25 to 30. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Look at the terms there, carry your cross, count the cost. I mean, that's night and day from take the free gift of the water of life. Salvation is a gift of God given free of charge by faith. Discipleship is a commitment to follow Jesus, and quite frankly, it can cost a person his or her life. It's a big difference. That's why John said this in John 12, 42-43. He said, many even among the leaders believed in Him. Get that. Many even among the leaders believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they love praise from men more than praise from God. See, in John's mind, there's a big difference between those who believe in Him, which is John's repeated way of saying a person has received the gift of eternal life, and those who follow Him. And so the question each of us have to wrestle with is this, is our heart's desire to be simply a believer? You know, someone who loves Jesus, Someone who admires Jesus, someone who appreciates the free gift of salvation? Or are we willing to count the cost, to lay it on the line, to become someone who is a follower, a disciple? You know, there were a mixture of believing admirers and believing disciples back in John's day. And I would say the same thing is true in our day. But our goal and our passion as Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown is to lead people not simply to be believers but to be disciples. You know why? Because that's what leads to the best life possible. That's the way to the best life possible. If you just believe in Jesus as your Savior, that's fine and all. That's cool, right? You'll be forgiven. You'll go to heaven. But honestly, it won't make a difference in how you live your life here. If you're not committed to learning from and following Jesus, you're probably going to live your life pretty much like you did before you became a Christian. And sadly, that explains and kind of, you know, is real for a good number of Christians. But it's not the best life possible. It's not what Jesus has for you. Which is why Jesus, when He gave the Great Commission over in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, He said this, therefore go and make what? Disciples, learners, followers, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So at that point, they've come to faith and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, he challenged people to believe in him first and then follow him. Let me give you an example. Over in John 3, you have this Pharisee named Nicodemus, he's a religious leader, and he came to Jesus. And the Bible says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he's pretty high up. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right, let's pause here. This, this guy's not a believer. He's certainly not a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And why do you think the Bible tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? At night. Well, he doesn't want to be seen, right? He doesn't want to risk losing his reputation amongst the religious leaders of Israel. And in verse 3, it says, Jesus responded. (laughs) Jesus doesn't waste any time. Jesus responded and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus, man, he launches right into the gospel. Believe in me and receive eternal life. Don't believe in me. Reject me. You won't see life. That's John 3, right? John three sixteen comes right after this. That's the starting point. Nicodemus, you have to become a born again believer. And guess what? You may not realize this, but eventually Nicodemus does place his faith in Jesus. We don't see it right here, but we see it later on. And this is fascinating to me. He stays just a believer, just an admirer. He's not willing to take that next step to discipleship right away. In fact, we don't hear from Nicodemus again until after Jesus's death. He and another undercover believer surface in John 19, 38 to 39, and they're offering to bury Jesus's body. And I want you to check this out. Listen to this. It says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews, and with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And here it is. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So these two men were kind of under the radar believers for a while. But then they turned to disciples, willing to step out. For Jesus. And can I just say, that's pretty typical of the Christian life. You know, first you believe in and you admire Jesus. And then at some point, you start to make some commitments. You start to become willing to sacrifice for Him. And that's kind of the beginning of the whole discipleship process. You know, it usually doesn't happen in one dramatic moment, right? It's not a bright light from heaven, typically, that knocks you off your feet. It's a gradual process. And please hear me on this. Even the most spiritual of Christians, even the most spiritual believers have good days and bad days, right? (laughs) Days where you follow Christ wholeheartedly and days where you don't, you stumble. That's okay. The key is to not stay there. Don't let yourself just stagnate in your spiritual growth. I mean, God doesn't expect new believers to become mature overnight, but He also doesn't excuse people who never make a commitment to discipleship. You know, it's interesting, as I was thinking about the Bible, the Apostle Paul very often lamented the fact that so many Christians never move forward spiritually. Listen to what he wrote to the church at Corinth. Paul says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Over in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says something similar in Hebrews 5. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, God doesn't want anyone to remain spiritually immature, but but He leaves the choice of discipleship to us, to you and to me. And He tells us it won't happen without sacrifice. And I've been thinking about this. For us to become a disciple-making church, I think it's going to challenge all of us here. I mean, we're talking elders, pastors, staff, lay leaders, all of us. But if we do, our church will be stronger, our church will be healthier, Our church will have a greater impact on the world around us if we choose to follow Christ wholeheartedly. But again, Jesus leaves that decision up to each and every one of us. And so the question you've got to answer is this: you know, do I just want to be, you know I'd rather just be a believer in Jesus? or a follower? Like, do I want to be a daily follower of Jesus or just a believing admirer? We've all got to wrestle with that question. And hear me on this, not do you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a different issue. The question is, am I willing to follow Him? Am I willing to take that next step? Now, I think I know what some of you are thinking. And I know in a lot of people's mind, when this challenge is issued, they're going, man, I've got too many issues, Brian. I've got too much sin. I'm not spiritual enough to be a disciple. Well, that's not the question Jesus asks. That's not the question Jesus asks. The question is not, are you able? I can answer that question. No. (laughs) No way. Not by yourself, at least. I mean, Jesus said it well in John 15, 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, say this word with me, nothing. The question is simply, are you willing? Jesus is the one who's going to give you the power to be able to do this. But are you willing? And so this week, very simple, simple homework. I'm just asking you to pray about making a commitment. That's the starting point. Do I want to make this commitment? Not am I able, you're not, but do I want to make this particular commitment? There's an old saying It goes like this, people don't grow into commitments, they grow by making commitments. People don't grow into commitments, they grow by making commitments. There has to come a point in time, like Jesus said in Luke, where you count the cost, you say, I am willing to follow. Now, let's say you are willing to give discipleship following Jesus a shot. What will that look like? Right? What will it cost you? We're actually going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the cost of discipleship and the challenges of discipleship. But just to kind of prime the pump, I decided I would jot down a short list of what it could cost you. Okay. It might not cost you all these things, might cost you just some of these things, but these are some things it could cost you. You ready? Could cost you your time, your energy, your resources, your relationships your mind, your money, your sexuality, your emotions, your allegiance, your language, and your work, okay? Does that sound costly enough? Yeah, it is. But consider this, the blessings, the blessings, the payback, people, for following Jesus, both in this life and the next, far outweigh those costs. I guarantee it. Actually, I don't guarantee it. Jesus Guarantees it. It's been said the cost of not following Jesus, non discipleship, is more costly than the cost of following Jesus, being a disciple. In other words, trying to live your life apart from the leadership of Christ is also very costly. And if you think about it, who knows better than God how you should navigate your way through life? Like, why wouldn't you commit yourself wholeheartedly to Him? He'll spare you a lot of heartache in this life and lots of rewards, lots of blessings both here on earth and in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One day, uh, Peter, he was describing the sacrifices that he and the other disciples were making to follow Jesus, which is kind of an interesting thing to do. But I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to Peter. I love this. Peter said to him, to Jesus, we've left all we had to follow you. We left everything for you, Jesus. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. That's not just a quantity of life. That's a quality of life. That term means abundant, fruitful life. Greater blessings here, greater blessings in heaven. That's God's promise for all those who follow His Son, Jesus. So my hope and my prayer for Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown is that we will be known not just as a church of believing Jesus admirers, but rather as a church of devoted Jesus followers. A whole church of people just doing life with God day in and day out. That'll rock this world. That'll rock this community, (laughs) make a huge difference. Let's pray. Lord, it's important up front here to just acknowledge we don't have a shot at doing this. We are imperfect people. We fall short all the time. But because we serve a perfect God, because your Holy Spirit lives in those who named your name, who put their faith in you, we do have all we need for life and for godliness. And if we will just really truly believe that doing life with you Following you, learning from you, pursuing hard after you, putting you first leads to the best life possible. It'll change everything. So, my prayer, Lord, through your spirit, is that you would convict us this week, that we would count the cost, that we would make that call and say, I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to train myself for the purpose of godliness so I can be more like Jesus. God, I know if we make that call, we'll have no regrets, no regrets. It's not gonna be easy and we certainly can't do it apart from you. But that's my prayer. That's my hope that I would be more and more dedicated, more and more committed to following you daily and my brothers and sisters would as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray.